cannabis industry is growing up fast, which means there's lots of metrics to measure. Cy Scott is co-founder and CEO of Headset, a company that gathers and analyzes sales data from dispensaries around the country so their cannabis industry clients can map business strategy with real-time trends and business intelligence. Cy is our guest for this episode, and it's a conversation I found fascinating, and I hope you do too. If you like the podcast, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your other favorite podcast player, and please leave a review so other people can find the show. And if you like this episode, please share it with friends so we can help grow the movement. And here is my interview with Cy Scott. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Our guest this week is Cy Scott. CEO of Headset. Hey, Cy, how are you? Doing great, thanks. Headset is in a really interesting space where there's an old truism, you can only manage what you measure. That's your specialty, right? It's data about the cannabis industry. That's right. That's right. At Headset, uh, we're data and analytics, uh, primarily market intelligence for the cannabis industry. So we really help uh, people understand you know, what's going on, what the opportunity looks like, uh, what's the competitive landscape look like, and if they're a brand operating in the space, really measuring their overall market position. And it's so interesting because it's such an explosive moment in this industry where all that demand was, was pent up over so many years, and now the industry is just rolling. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's one thing. We're we're a technology company, um, you know, a software as a service company, and it's it's interesting. You know, we have a number of investors that come from the traditional tech investment world, and uh, what they really like about the cannabis opportunity, as opposed to just traditional tech, is that you know this is a a product, you know, cannabis that's had demand for as long as anybody can remember, right? Thousands of years probably. Uh, and there's finally a legal framework being developed around it, um, you know, where traditional technology is, is more of kind of inverse of that. Some technology comes to market, and you have to create the demand. So uh, definitely exciting, uh, an exciting category to be a part of. How did you guys get started? How long have you been in business? Well, I've been in the cannabis industry for a decade at this point, um, which is, is just wild to say that. Um, doesn't feel like that long, but maybe that's a testament to just how fast and how you know, continuously interesting this space is. So I started um, with Leafly. So I co-founded Leafly with my same co-founding team at Headsets. Uh, we started that back in 2010. And for those that don't know, uh, Leafly is a consumer uh, resource to really help demystify cannabis strains for a mainstream audience. Um, back in 2010, um, we were in California at the time and saw an opportunity with the proliferation of dispensaries and um, people were getting more access to dispensaries, more dispensaries were opening up, uh, more strains were available and there really wasn't a lot of good information on you know, the different strains. You're really at the mercy of the bud tender, you'd walk in and um, you know, you were confronted with strains that, uh, you know, were sourced from, you know, wherever, untested and so on. So we created a platform where people could share um, their their experience with the different strains, rate and review. And uh, we aggregated that up and made that available uh, to the consumer. So that's where I got my start. Um, and we ended up selling Leafly um, a number of years after that. And we stuck around with the, the new acquirers, a group called Privateer Holdings, which... Um, for those maybe familiar with Tilray, uh, they started Tilray and they're now essentially Tilray. Um, and at that time, uh, with Privateer, you know, we we built up Leafly into something pretty substantial, and it and it continues to do really well uh, today. But we saw an opportunity on the data side, and 
it was really driven by a couple factors. I think one, uh, the maturity level of um, the the industry was growing. So you know, again, going from um, the early days where you'd walk into a dispensary and you'd be confronted with you know dried flour in jars sourced from you know where whatever grow, you never really knew. Um, for a lot of these locations to uh, more of a packaged goods world where you started to see, you know, things like edibles and vapor pens and even packaged flour with brands starting to appear. Um, and, and so that that was one trend, more money coming into the space, attracting, you know, more people that with uh, diverse backgrounds, uh, often people with backgrounds in, you know, other consumer packaged goods industries and kind of coming to the market and really starting to ask, you know, data questions. Uh, and then the other um, the other factor is just thinking about cannabis as any sort of fast moving consumer good or consumer packaged good, which it inevitably or arguably already is. Um, you know, any CPG company leverages data to drive decisions. You, you'd be hard pressed to find any successful company out there that decides to make a new product without looking at the numbers, without really looking at, you know, what is what is the opportunity to jump into a category? So, you know, in our world, it's saying, you know, I want to um, get into edibles, but I need to understand, should I be making a chocolate? Should I be making an, a gummy? And if I do want to make a chocolate, um, you know, what uh, milligram of THC should I target? Should it be a you know, 10 milligram chocolate? Should it be a 100 milligram chocolate? And when I do jump in, what other brands are there and how well are they performing and what kind of consumer does that brand resonate? And do I want to take away their consumers with my competitive product or do I want to expand the category, the chocolate category uh, by bringing in new consumers or attracting a, a new audience? So all those questions uh, we knew were inevitable and that really is what uh, drove us to start Headset. Wow, what a journey. Those are some of the biggest names in the industry. When you talk about Leafly, I think you guys did a superb job of sort of modernizing access to information, as you say, that people really needed, ratings and reviews. I mean, the old high times, they certainly had an audience uh, aficionados and, and enthusiasts, but you guys brought some data science to just presenting product. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was really important. And, and we really made it for ourselves. You know, we, we wanted a resource like that. And um, it was a great way to kind of understand our pain point as a cannabis consumer and, and something that, you know, we... We enjoyed, um, much like, you know, I enjoy beer or wine, you know, not necessarily the defining factor of who I am, but something that, that I like, um, you know, from time to time. And, and it was really hard to get good information. And I think most outlets at the time, to your point, you know, really were, were focused on kind of the stoner stereotype, which is, you know, certainly a, a segment of the market. You know, there, there are a lot of enthusiasts out there uh, that, that, you know, push the market forward in a lot of ways. But there's a lot of, you know, just general, you know, mainstream consumers, um, you know, that, that needed a platform to kind of understand what was going on. And so uh, that's that's really what we, you know, set out to, to solve with Leaf. We felt like we did a good job and, and kind of solved that problem and, and gave people uh, the consumer a lot of information. And, and Leaf continues to do a fantastic job of education, um, you know, going even further, you know, where we started with kind of the Sativa Indica hybrid conversation into things like helping people understand, you know, terpene profiles, helping people understand, you know, alternate formats of cannabis, because it is so much more than just dried flour. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, we're really happy with where we got it. Um, and then a very similar story on the data front, you know, really just 
saw a massive gap in the space. You know, there wasn't a lot of good comprehensive information um, around, you know, what is resonating with the consumer, you know, what types of products are selling at retail or at dispensaries, um, you know, what type of categories should businesses be investing in and, and what's trending, you know, with consumers. And that was really, you know, was the impetus to, to start Headset. Real market intelligence so that you're taking the guesswork out of it for entrepreneurs who are coming into the space and trying to serve customers. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, all of our data starts with dispensaries and retail. So we work with uh, the dispensary org operators, you know, across a number of markets, um, pretty much every legal market, whether medical or adult use. Um, and we hook into their systems of record. Systems of record include things like their point of sale software, their e-commerce software, and so on. And we give the retailers and, and dispensaries, and sometimes I use them interchangeably. It really depends on you know if they're in a medical market, often you know dispensary. If they're in an adult use market, often you know considered retail. Um, but it, essentially the same same thing. Obviously, nuance in the different markets, types of products they sell. Um, but, you know, we work with the retailers integrating with their systems of record and we give them uh, business intelligence. So that's data about their data. So analytics on their own data so that they can really understand their operational efficiencies, their sales trends, um, you know, staffing trends, you know, discount planning or customer retention, just everything about the business that you really want to understand beyond kind of top line reporting. Um, we, we give that back to the retailers uh, based on their own data, but we also bring in um, what's considered benchmarking data so that they can really understand you know, how they fit in the market. And it's really important if you put yourself in the shoes of a retailer and you're really dialing in your operations, you know, you're making efficient purchase orders for your inventory and you're, you're running the right promotions and you're bringing those loyal customers back efficiently and, and maybe your sales are up. Um, or maybe they're down, and then you can actually look at you know the benchmarking data to really understand you know is that just overall market trends? Like are sales up in general because it's uh, summertime and you're in a market that has a sizable amount of tourism, so you know your your sales are up, but everybody's sales are up, or are your sales up more than market because the work you're putting in to your operational efficiencies are really paying dividends. So that's how um, you know we we source our data. So working with uh, retail and dispensary cooperators. And then we um, do this process of, of what's considered product coding. So this data normalization, and it's really looking at all these disparate retailers and looking at the products they sell. And you can imagine they're all entered differently in their point of sale. Um, you know, there's no uh, common thread across these products. There's no UPC, for example, like you'd see at grocery. So we have to normalize all this data. We've got a pretty sophisticated process that, that does that. Um, and once we do that, we can say, you know, a certain product that's sold across the California market um, that's part of this brand and this category performs this well. And we feed that data into our market intelligence product we call Headset Insights. And that's really, um, you know, where our customers come to really understand that competitive landscape, to really find the opportunity um, and measure their brand position. So it's a very rich set of data. It's very different than even traditional market intelligence. You know, for those that are close to the market intelligence world, you know, you, you may be familiar with brands like Nielsen, brands like IRI. You know, these are big, um, you know, market data uh, brands that do a lot of what we do. But for the traditional grocery industry, for example, uh, one of many industries they do this for. Um, but we we really have a a different lens into the data because of the integrations at the system of record. We can see some really compelling uh, information like the receipt. So we know, you know, co-purchase behavior, 
uh, loyalty data. So we know demographics uh, information and, you know, how often do these consumers come back and, and purchase the same products or purchase the varieties of products, um, you know, pricing, you know, wholesale um, pricing margins and so on. And we feed that in aggregate back into our market data. So it's a very compelling lens into the industry. I think it's the the um, the best lens possible. I like to say that we've you know we've got where we know more about how cannabis is sold than any other uh, organization out there. And for me, um, you know, as a, as a CEO of the company, you know, and just being so invested in the cannabis industry, I find it um, you know just a really compelling position because this is an industry that is being built today, and, and we're going to be seeing brands that are developed today that will you know be brands you know, decades from now, uh, much like, uh, you know, alcohol, like you had Anheuser-Busch, you know, 100 years ago developing. We're seeing those brands being built today. And, you know, with headset and our lens into that data, um, we get to see it happen right in front of our eyes. The parallel, I think, in the content world is like SEO. You probably learned at Leafly that what you anticipate the consumer looking for isn't always what they're looking for. Have you seen any big surprises in terms of the retail channel and what people might expect and what the reality is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really varies market to market. And that's another you know interesting thing about the cannabis industry is that it's very fragmented. You know, products sold in California are going to be very different than those sold in, in Illinois or, or Michigan or um, New Jersey's medical program. And so it, it does vary market to market. But I think it's some, some general trends. Uh, that are pretty compelling um, are you know categories or what we consider categories so formats so flower edible pre-rolls vapor pens and so on um, you still see flower dominating a lot of sales and flower is is what is synonymous when people think about cannabis in a traditional form uh, is really the, the flower format but flower for a new consumer can be quite challenging if you think about it like if a new consumer was to come into the cannabis category and want to purchase products for the first time and walked into an adult use store in california um you know flower may be tough because you need a lot to consume that flower you know you need a grinder you need uh to be able to you know create a pre-roll out of it or maybe have some device to to vaporize it or to smoke it um and that's that's quite challenging um i think for you know consumers with experience it's it's a little easier to go into that but for new consumers um, and even experienced consumers that are looking for something different, I think the other formats and the rise of those other formats is pretty compelling. The vapor pen category, you know, didn't exist ten years ago or barely existed. It was very, very early. Um, you know, the edibles category it always existed in the sense of you know the edible, the, the brownie, you know, that's always been around, but not in like a packaged good sense. You know, where you really can go and you know you're confronted with all these different types of packaged products with different um, you know, flavor profiles, different uh, positioning and so on. So really seeing the rise of some of those categories, um, you know, right now it seems that there's a lot of talk about beverages. There's some interesting things going on in the beverage category and it's still a small percentage of overall sales, um, you know, sub 2%, uh, you know, even 1% in some markets go to beverages, but people are really excited about beverages. Beverages are a, a format that um, is, is something that, consumers understand, you know, from 
from just the beverage world or the beverage alcohol world, uh, it's a nice, easy parallel. And there's a lot of innovation that's happening in that category. So we're starting to see some growth there, uh, continued growth in, in categories like, you know, vapor pens, edibles, um, but flour still dominates uh, about, you know, 40 to 50% of sales, depending on the market that you're looking at, but that's kind of just, just averages. So it's still a, a large share of, of sales go there. So I think that's an interesting story. Just what, what, does the category landscape for cannabis look like? And you know, what is it going to look like 10 years from now? Are beverages going to be, you know, five, 10% of the market? Is flour going to continue to dominate or is it going to become, you know, smaller as people are, are looking for, you know, consistency, um, you know, used to a certain type of product, not something sold in in bulk. So that's one interesting uh, thing. I think another um, kind of unique aspect is um, like the demographic and the, the generation profile. So millennials are the majority of consumers and millennials are actually getting older. Uh, I think um, the oldest millennials are just turning 40 this year. And it's, it's amazing how time flies because I always think of millennials as, as a bit younger. Um, but they do command a, a sizable percentage of, of category sales. But that's being um, also taken over by Generation Z. So Generation Z, this is an interesting story. Generation Z in America, you know, where you have to be 21 and over to consume adult use cannabis, Generation Z is already accounting for over 10% of sales. And when you think about that demographic or, or that generation in, in the legal markets, it's really 21, 22, 23 year olds. Um, you know, that are considered Generation Z. And so three years of age, and they're already accounting for 10% of the market. And they're aging it every day. So someone's turning 21 every day, right? So more and more access. So you're starting to see that grow and taking a larger percentage of the category, which is, which is really exciting. Um, and when you put yourself in the shoes of a Generation Z, uh, individual, you know, they, they were born into a world where cannabis has been legal in some format. They're born into a world where maybe, you know, cannabis has been legal medically in, in California since the 90s, right? So, you know, to them, um, it's not as stigmatized. It's it's much more normalized. And you're seeing that reflected in, in category sales of, of, of cannabis in general. They're, they're coming to the category. They're purchasing cannabis. You know, they're purchasing uh, different forms of cannabis. They're, they're paying different rates. They're, they often... Um, have a smaller wallet share, so you know they're they're spending less, but they're also younger, right? So as they grow, they'll continue to spend more as they have more purchase power. So that's really an exciting trend and great to see. You know, when you look at the traditional CPG world, the worlds of Coca Cola, worlds of Dannon and General Mills, you know, when they when they talk about G Generation Z, it's really disruptive to their business lines. Um, you know, these are you know the Cheerios, you know, from from General Mills. Um, you know, Generation Z is looking at alternative cereal brands, right? Not just the same old, but in the cannabis industry, you know, a, a new demographic like this is actually really driving, it's an accelerant to the whole space. So that's pretty exciting to, to be able to see from headset as well. Yeah. Boy, what you're talking about, there's a whole matrix of usage happening between demographics and, and regions and stuff. And, you know, we talk about this often on the show where the generalizations about cannabis are, well, you, people use it to get high, but there's not one single thing you can say about it that's it's true all the time. People are using it in many different forms for different purposes. Their usage is going to vary quite a bit, I bet. That's absolutely correct. I mean, um, you know, from the metal cons consumer who may need, you know, high potency products um, to help with whatever, you know, conditions that they're suffering from, uh, all the way to a recreational consumer who wants to consume socially, 
and wants to have, you know, a low dose two milligram mint, um, or maybe a, a two milligram beverage that they can have a few of in a social environment and not, um, you know, get, get too high. So there, there is a, a spectrum of consumers. There's a spectrum of, um, kind of purchase intent, you know, what are they using it for? Uh, there's also, you know, formats and availability and different markets have restrictions on certain types of formats. It, it, it really varies. It really varies. And I, I think that's, you know, in some ways, what is so interesting around this this industry is that, you know, we don't really know what the future will hold and how this thing will look, you know, decades from now. We have, we're starting to see some patterns and some trends, but it's it's still wide open. Like the book has not been written. It's, it's being written, you know, while we're talking here. And, uh, that's really exciting to see and, you know, keeps me engaged. You know, it's, it's something that's compelling. And I think other people are recognizing that coming into the cannabis industry, you know, looking for opportunities to, to join and, and, you know, they recognize that it's, you know, high growth category uh, compared to many consumer categories out there and just has some, some of those natural tailwinds and will only accelerate even further when we see some federal changes here in the U S sooner than later. So tell me who your typical customer is. It's a brand coming to you saying, we need some intelligence. Yeah, that's right. We kind of uh, segment our customers into, into two types of audiences. So we have what we call or consider you know, cannabis license holders. So that would be a retailer, a dispensary, a product manufacturer, distributor, anybody with a license um, you know, in, a, in a legal market to either you know, produce a product or retail a product. Um, you know, that's our, our largest customer base right now. And they're buying, buying different types of services, whether it's from the retail side, some of those operational efficiencies, really better targeting their, their customers, um, better optimizing inventory and so on, all the way to the brands that are looking at, you know, when they want to innovate or, or move into a different segment of the, of the category, um, you know, how do they, how do they make those decisions? So it's through, you know, headsets, market intelligence data. So that's one, um, line of our business is kind of the operators. Uh, but what's really exciting is we, we sell to what we consider ancillary or non-endemic cannabis uh, customers. So, uh, and those, those types of customers vary um, it's from financial institutions. So banks, hedge funds, venture firms, you know, there's a lot of uh, capital that's looking at the cannabis category, you know, as an opportunity. Um, and so they want to know what's going on. They want to understand, you know, what, what brands to be investing in, um, you know, what does the industry look like in the years ahead? So they leverage, you know, headset data for that. Um, consumer packaged goods companies. So companies like beverage alcohol um, or traditional CPG uh, are buying our data. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting to see some of these bigger names kind of looking at the, at the space as an opportunity. Um, you know, also looking at it as a competitive um competitive assessment, kind of understanding, you know, what is the risk to my business? You can imagine an alcohol company, maybe a, a beer company in California might say, well, my sales are down. Is that impacted by uh, cannabis legalization? And, you know, should I jump into the category to, to help support that? And we've seen some uh, beer brands, you know, uh, you know, create some products. You've seen, you know, Lagunitas, which is a kind of craft Brewing company has a cannabis brand. Um, Paps Blue Ribbon has a cannabis brand in California. So you're seeing more and more of that, and they're used to using data. Um, so certainly, you know, that's a type of customer that's buying our product too. So really, the the license holders and the kind of the non-endemic, the ancillary type of clients, whether it's financial services, CPG, hardware manufacturers, um, you name it. Anybody who wants to know what's going on with the cannabis industry can come to Headset, and we'll help them out. 
You mentioned something that's going to be huge, federal decriminalization. Do you see some players coming off the sidelines as that evolves? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're seeing it happen now, even with federal uh, prohibition, you know, in um, like in Canada, for example, you know, last week and, and Canada is a is a country with federal legalization. Uh, and so, you know, they're in a world where there is no federal overhang like we have in the U.S., um, you know, just last week, there was a, a big announcement between BAT, which was formerly known as British American Tobacco, and uh, Organigram, a Canadian LP. And BAT is looking at, you know, the, the cannabis category as a, a beyond nicotine opportunity. And they're really trying to push uh, a large percentage of their consumers away from uh, combustible products. So, you know, traditional, you know, cigarettes and, you know, the, the cigarette industry, I think is, is challenging and, and, you know, they're going to run out of emerging markets where their growth has seemed to be as, you know, less and less um, consumers are smoking in, in markets like the U.S. and in Canada. So they're looking at opportunities there and you see them making pretty sizable bets. I think that was a couple hundred million dollars they put into Organigram. Um, and they're bringing some of their vapor technology that they've ex been experimenting with uh, and some of their vapor brands, which is great for Organigram because they get some great innovation, at probably at a, at a significantly cheaper price uh, than maybe having to innovate on their own. So that is certainly happening. And then, you know, the trends with those beverage alcohol brands that I was just mentioning earlier is also happening. But I think it's going to get even bigger. And, and when you think about Canada, federally legalized, I mean, it's great. But Canada as, as a country, you know, is relatively small compared to the U.S., I think, you know, about a tenth or so of the U.S. So when you have a market like the U.S., which is 10 times the size, where many traditional uh, CPG type brands uh, have their headquarters or have a majority of their sales, uh, I think it's going to be wide open and you're going to see more and more of them coming to the category. And Federal legalization, you know, is right around the corner. I mean, we we've seen those signals, um, you know, from the new administration. I think they're they've got some aggressive policies. I mean, just this morning, actually, I was reading about a number of bills that are being introduced or reintroduced to Congress. So, you know, something is certainly going to happen. Uh, and then you have markets like Mexico, um, which are just on the cusp of adult use as well, and it's going to create the largest adult use cannabis market out there, at least until the U.S. Um, you know federally legalizes. Um, but, you know, you, you've got the situation where the United States has some progressive policies and, and has those signals that they're going to be making some changes. You, you know, the momentum in the states, the momentum with these large operators, uh, businesses are really getting their, their feet under them. It's not, you know, as fragmented where it's just small shops, kind of what it used to be, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so you're getting kind of more lobbying efforts, you're getting more um, you know, voice out there. And I think people also recognize that we're in the situation where a majority of consumers, you know, approve cannabis, um, approve cannabis legalization. And also a lot of states have it, you know, a, a number of states, you know, have adult use, a majority of states have medical, and it's just untenable, the situation we're at with the federal government. So it's finally going to be taken care of, which is very exciting. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what that means for the future. I think, you know, there are going to be a lot of these um, you know, ancillary kind of non-endemic groups coming in uh, to the category. I think they're going to be, you know, probably doing a lot of M&A, buying, you know, brands that have been establishing themselves over the last you know, handful of years. Uh, they're probably going to be doing a lot of innovation in the category. I think they're going to continue to push the normalization aspect of it. Um, and then there's a lot of economic opportunity um, for everybody involved. 
And then finally, you know, there's the the social equity component as well. And hopefully, you know, with federal uh, legislation, we can kind of include that. You know, a lot of different states have that. We try and do things at headset to support that. And it is a it is a problem that prohibition has had. And so hopefully with more organizations, more capital coming in, there's more opportunity to fix a lot of the the harms that prohibition has caused over the years. Yes, and, and data can certainly help give you a clear picture of that. You know, you mentioned Mexico. I know their their House and Senate are, are moving it forward as we speak, and, and Canada's already there. So will you guys throw the analysis across the whole of North America? Data is data, right? Are you, are you looking at those regions as well? Absolutely. Um, we, we certainly are. And, and that's uh, we showed that with Canada. So we've got a sizable footprint in Canada. We have an office in Toronto. Um, a number of, of Canadian employees, um, you know, as soon as Canada rolled out their framework, we invested um, pretty significantly to be able to capture that data because it is, uh, to your point, you know, data is data. Every market kind of has the same needs. Every market's going to have different um, different operators, different dynamics. And so it's while you can, you know, make some assumptions around, you know, what is what is Mexico going to look like, and we certainly do that with some of our projection work, and we kind of try and we try and look at what we've seen other rollouts um, look like, and we, we we look at what you know Mexico's legislation looks like as far as you know, licensing, and we look at their their population and kind of per capita consumption, and we make some assumptions uh, around the size of the market, and that stuff is is fantastic, and I think it's where you start. You really need to understand the opportunity of, of the category, but to really drill in and to to go all the way down to a specific product and understand, you know, how how well does this skew or this product sell. In, in a given market, you know, you need to do the type of measurement that we do. So it is very important for us. And we're looking very closely at, you know, what does Mexico look like? And can we reproduce what we've done in the U.S. and what we've done in Canada uh, and Mexico, um, you know, as they as they roll out um, their legal framework? And, and you're absolutely correct. It does sound like it's, it's all occurring, you know, right now. Uh, and I think, you know, any week now we're going to see a presidential signature and that go into law and um, be pretty exciting to see. And I certainly could use, you know, once uh, we're out of this pandemic, it'd be a nice excuse to get down to Mexico for a week or two as well. Sure. Get down to Cabo. Speaking of the pandemic, the word unprecedented gets tossed around a lot for the last year. A lot of things that nobody saw coming, including, you know, the designation of cannabis as essential. What did your data tell you? Were there any surprises that came out over the last year? Yeah, um, when the pandemic happened, and it's it's pretty insane to think that it was about a year ago right now when... Um, you know, we as an organization and many organizations, you know, enabled a, a remote work policy and you know, shut down the office. Um, and there was a lot of, if, if you if you remember those times, um, there was a lot of kind of stockpiling, um, somewhat panic buying. If you remember things like toilet paper sales uh, from a year ago, and and we saw some of that same purchase behavior happening in cannabis. Uh, we saw a very large spike in cannabis sales. And and this was a time when we didn't know if if uh, cannabis retail cannabis dispensaries were going to be allowed to stay open. Um, it was still an unknown. You know, much like restaurants got closed, you know, many businesses were were forced to close and deemed you know, non-essential services. Uh, there was the fear that you know cannabis would be classified as, as such, and so there was a lot of. Uh, stockpiling behavior. So consumers kind of flooded into the category, buying a lot of cannabis products. And then it, it dropped off after that. As you can imagine, you know, people had a lot of supply. 
um, you know, maybe spent a fair amount of money and didn't have the resources to, to purchase more. Um, but then it started to, to level back off and actually, um, you know, sales were higher, um, even during a pandemic. I mean, every, every year sales are higher in, in the cannabis industry, even in markets like Colorado, which have had, you know, a legal, um, a legal market for you know, six, seven years at this point, um, you know, we still see growth, uh, which is amazing. Um, but even in a pandemic, it, it's amazing to see that, you know, consumers are, are still, you know, purchasing cannabis, especially when so many people, um, you know, are losing their jobs or struggling, or, you know, have, have, um, you know, challenges that are the result of the pandemic. So I think it really shows that, you know, cannabis is a very resilient product. Uh, the consumer demand will always be there, um, you know, it, it, which bodes well for those that are in the industry, I think, because, you know, when you think about, you know, future potential recessions, you know, I think it will show that cannabis is a very much recession-proof product uh, if it's a pandemic-proof product. Um, so that's that's certainly, you know, something we've, we've seen also, I think it's just good to note that, um, you know, to the legalization question, the fact that cannabis dispensaries were considered essential services, yet the federal government, you know, still considers, you know, cannabis schedule one drug, you know, illegal, I think is, is a good signal, again, that, uh, you know, we're going to see some change here nationwide sooner than later. Some of us make suppositions about what's happening. You know, it seemed to me that during the pandemic, a lot of people, they want to relax and they go to a euphoriant and maybe people were drinking too much. After a while, they realized this isn't good. Maybe I'll try cannabis. Do you guys make judgments about what might be happening as you extrapolate the data? Is that a theory or do you just let your customers make those suppositions? Yeah, we um, through our, our integrations at, at the retailers, we don't necessarily get um, purchase intent from from the consumer. Uh, so we, we can infer some things around that kind of like if you're a elderly consumer and you're buying, you know, things like capsule format products, we can assume it's probably for pain mitigation. Maybe you're, you're looking at, you know, trying cannabis instead of some prescription um some prescription drugs, um, just based on the profile of the consumer and the type of products that they're purchasing and how those products are positioned. Um, but to really understand, you know, is this, are you purchasing this because you want to, you know, move away from alcohol and switch to something that might be a bit safer? Um, you know, those types of questions we get from, you know, qualitative surveys, um, you know, which often we leverage through partners to be able to kind of access that information. Uh, we actually have a partnership with Nielsen, um, you know, the leader in market intelligence, and they're able to run a number of surveys to that point. So we can round out kind of our quantitative data. So knowing that what's happening with some of the qualitative data to really understand, you know, what's, what's driving those consumer purchases. And uh, it paints a, a nice holistic picture. You can imagine that, you know, if you just have qualitative data, the self-reported data, it's kind of like if someone went to the grocery store last week, like, let's say, you know, you picked up some groceries last week and I asked you, um, you know, when you did that grocery run and you spent $200 at the grocery store, can you tell me what you got? Uh, by memory, you know, or, or what drove you to the grocery store. And, and there's some self-reporting bias that, that 
often happens. Uh, maybe you might say you bought some things that are healthier. Maybe you would not tell me that you bought, um, you know, a lot of chocolate chip cookies or or a lot of you know something that uh, doesn't look great. And so sometimes it's great to have both, where you get the quantitative. You can actually see the receipt. You can see that you know the the source of truth of like what was actually purchased, and then you kind of round out that data with you know asking those questions. You know what what drove you into the category? What 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 made you buy that brand over another brand? Like, what do you remember about that decision that you made? And, and that's a very powerful story, right? For anybody that was really trying to understand, you know, what what actually is driving this? Because we all have our assumptions and we all kind of have anecdotes and our own personal um, experiences. But when you look at it at scale and really try and follow these trends, I mean, that's what everyone wants to know. So certainly, we we do that uh, by bringing in some of that survey data uh, through some of our partners. Sort of a nuts and bolts question. I don't know if this is proprietary, but what is in it for the dispensary to report their data to you? What do they, what do they get back? Yeah, so they get back uh, business intelligence, so analytics on their own data. Uh, so we provide a lot of, of services to them so that they can really understand you know, what, what is going on and um, really make informed decisions about their own business. A lot of these stores carry a lot of different products and some sell better than others. Um, and really managing that, you can imagine, you know, if you had a retail store, you would rather have your your capital tied up in inventory that's moving than stuff that you have to have in the back storeroom that's maybe getting old and, and starting to expire. Uh, maybe you have to discount heavily. Um, so you really want to optimize things like inventory turn. You know, you really want to optimize bringing new customers in the door. And, and when you spend marketing dollars to do that, are you are you getting the ROI on the marketing spend? And you know, we help our retailers and dispensaries measure that. And a lot of that um, is what we give in exchange for being able to leverage uh, their data. And when we leverage their data, it's in aggregate and it's anonymized, and so there's nothing. Um, that is identifiable about the data. So we cannot help anybody who wants to know, you know, how well does a particular dispensary perform? Uh, all our data is down to the product um, and the product across a market. So we can tell you, you know, how well a particular vapor pin from a particular brand is selling, but we can tell you that because it's sold at a large number of retailers, but you can't really know, you know, how well is that, that product selling at a particular retailer. Um, and so that's kind of how we, we protect retailers and protect their data. Um, and we also help them leverage their data in more effective ways to be just a more efficient business. The, the retail channel for cannabis is, is growing quickly and it's getting more and more competitive. It's getting competitive for the brands that want to get shelf space. Um, you know, it's harder to just walk into a store as a brand and say, you know, carry my product. It's a great product. Uh, retailers are, are being pickier about that. They have a lot of uh, optionality there. And then for retailers themselves, it's also getting very competitive. Even in limited license markets, you get you get some larger, you know, venture backed or publicly traded, you know, multi-state or multi-store operators, the MSOs uh, that are there that are very competitive. And um, it, it can be can be tough. And so data gives you an edge, right? If you're looking at the data and you're really optimized, um, you can find some sizable ROI there and, and save money and optimize that inventory and optimize you know, your customer retention. And that's that's where we come in. You know, we're beyond kind of what a, a like a point of sale might do from a reporting perspective, which is very important, kind of your top line metrics, but really understanding what's driving those top line metrics and where you need to invest in the business is where we come in for the retailers. 
um, to to really just hone their their operations for them. I also saw something that might be of interest to listeners in this space at all. And yesterday on LinkedIn, someone had a link to your monthly insights where there were several markets where you just had some interesting tidbits of what was happening in, in Alberta or California. I'm in California, so I noticed that you called out Kana Gummies, which is one of my favorites. So we recently interviewed Cameron Clark of Thunderstorm. That's a fantastic product. So it's really interesting to see what's doing well in the various markets and, and listeners can access that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got a number of things that we make available at no cost um, through headsets. Um, so we do have a high-level market report um, that, that you're talking about. We publish this on a monthly basis in the markets we're in. Um, and it's just some interesting takeaways uh, that we notice. We usually mention a particular brand that's that's moving um, you know, in, in a positive direction. We like to highlight those brands Um because it, it is an interesting story, um, it, yeah. And there's, so th- so that's that's kind of our monthly market report, and you can get that as a subscriber to our newsletter. Um, we publish that out. We also publish that on our blog. So if you follow us on any like, social media, um, you'll get notified of when that lands. Um, you know, one thing that's really compelling about headset is you know how we source our data, and we, we talked about that at, at the top of the the discussion, but. Um, you know, we see everything as it's happening. And so, you know, you and I are having this conversation and stuff is selling in, in Los Angeles or stuff is selling in in Detroit. And, um, you know, it's getting funneled into headset. So we see it as it happens and we're able to report on it uh, in, a, in a timely manner. So, um, you know, we consider real-time market intelligence. And so when we publish a report, like our March industry report, um, you know, it's on a full February's data. And we publish, you know, right away at the beginning of March. Um, as a subscriber, you can get even timelier data if you should want it. Um, but it, it just really emphasizes, you know, how how powerful it is. This industry moves quickly, and you don't want to make decisions on data that's a few months old. You know, you really need to know what's going on, you know, a few weeks ago, frankly. And so that's something that's important to us. So that's one of the reasons we publish this cannabis market overview on a monthly basis, at the beginning of the month, and then. Um, some other, you know, things that uh, your listeners may may enjoy is uh, on headset.io, which is our website. We publish a bestseller list, and that gets updated daily uh, of the top ten products in each category. So you can go and take a look and just see who's who's selling well. It's based on a trailing ninety days of, of total units sold, so not total dollars sold, but actual units uh, that that move. From, through retail, um, so that's pretty interesting to watch. Kind of this top ten list across the different category, different markets that we report on uh, at that level. And then um, we have another service, uh, what we call Insights Pulse, and so it's very similar to our Insights Premium, which is our top tier market intelligence platform, uh, but it's a bit higher level, so you can get a sense of you know market overviews, a sense of category trends. So those numbers, you know, I was talking about you know vapor pens versus edibles versus pre rolls. We make that all accessible um, to to everybody. And, no cost. Um, you know, it's a great way to you know help everyone just kind of understand some of the dynamics. It is on a delay uh, on our insights poll, so it's not real time. So you have to wait about a month to get access to the data. Um, where our premium services is real time, but it's a very rich set of data and and pretty compelling. And I encourage anybody who's interested in kind of what's going on in the kind of space to kind of just head over and sign up. Um, and and take a look. It gives you a sense of exactly what we offer in our premium services, but it also gives you a sense of, of just general market trends. So a lot of types of services like the market overview um, blog post that you mentioned uh, that we make available uh, at no cost to our consumers. 
Are CBD products included, or are you just kind of looking at THC products? We, we, yeah, great question. We include CBD products that are sold at licensed retail, uh, so the regulated channel, the channel that we measure, so um, the types of dispensaries and retailers that sell THC-based cannabis products, but also CBD. You see a lot of the overlap. Um, there's a lot of formats, like capsule formats that have a lot of CBD, edibles that have a lot of CBD. Even flour you know, has high CBD flour. So we do track that. We do segment that out within um, headset itself. Uh, and then for the non-regulated channels, so the type of CBD products that might be sold um, you know, in more traditional retail or direct to consumer, uh, we work with Nielsen on that. So our partner Nielsen measures that because those types of products show up in the channels that they're measuring. And so it's, it's a great way to put the two data sets together uh, to really get a sense of, of what's going on, on on the CBD world. As a CBD brand, it is important to look at both channels. Um, you can imagine in a market like California where you're at that, um, you know, as a consumer, if you wanted to buy a CBD-based product, you could make the decision to go to maybe a traditional retail, maybe to a, a Walgreens or, or a similar type of uh, outlet that sells just CBD only, no THC. Or you might be able to go buy that same topical, but with a little bit of THC at a dispensary or retailer. Um, and so that's that's a, you know, interesting dynamic. And I think a brand needs to look at the whole picture uh, you know, what does it mean, you know, the different channels to buy CBD dominant products and, and with Nielsen, we're able to provide that holistic view. I ask everybody and I, I'm really interested in your answer because as one of the founders of Leafly and running headset, you are aware of every cannabis product out there, but do you have a favorite cannabis product or service? You know, I'm, I'm pretty easy. Um, I, I, I guess the thing I probably use most are, is vapor pens, um, Primarily, like the PAX era, uh, I, I enjoy. Um, it's just kind of my go-to. You know, one of the reasons why I like that type of product is it does give me the ability to try a number of different brands. Um, the way they license their era cartridges out is it's pretty interesting. So, you know, a number of different license holders will produce products with that type of cartridge, and it's just pretty convenient. So that's kind of my go-to. Um, but I do, I really enjoy, you know, trying new formats, trying new types of products whenever I can. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from California. I'm up here in Seattle now. Um, I've been here for a number of years. And so whenever I get back down to California, I'd love to, to try, you know, some of the Lotus beverages that, that are out there. Things like the Lagunitas, uh, Hi-Fi Hops, or um, the Can, you know, beverages. Um, just anything that's kind of new and different, I, I, I think that's that's what drives me so i kind of have my my tried and true staples and then i um i really like just all the new formats all the new brands and, and trying as much as i can um you know any innovation in the category i think is is really exciting so whether it's you know moving towards more fast acting edibles um you know or different you know vapor formats um you, you name it i mean it's there's just so much and that's what's so exciting i i think about this so I kind of kind of jump all over the place, but I guess I do have kind of the the daily driver, so to speak, of just kind of vapor pins for the convenience aspect. Well, if anyone has their finger on the pulse of the industry, it's you. So, Sai, is there anything uh, we haven't covered that we should? No, I, I think this is great. Uh, I would encourage listeners to just visit us at Headset.io. Um, you know, take a look at our insights service, the insights pulse I mentioned. We also publish industry reports on a monthly basis. There's a lot of good information. Um, whether you're you know, active in the industry or just interested in the industry, um, I think it's great to kind of 
be able to watch what's going on um, and what that means from a, a product brand category perspective. And, and that's what we're here to do. So uh, check us out um, and looking forward to, to seeing you on there. Yeah, definitely. It's fascinating and you provide a lot of value for, for free so people can really get a look at the, the monthly scorecard and, and see what's happening. So uh, I urge everybody to check out your blog and subscribe to the insights and um, really know what's happening. So thanks so much for making time. I know you're super busy and uh, we'll get this out there and maybe we can do it again down the road and uh, see what's what's happening in a year from now. Sounds great. You know, in one year, it's, it's going to be a whole different world. So I'm sure we'll have tons to cover. Thank you, Cy. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K dot com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.